Welcome back to Beyond Culture. We are the podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics. In this episode, we will be discussing the key races and results of this year's midterms. We will also be discussing the highly anticipated Senate race in Georgia, in which the incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock was re-elected, as well as the performance of various parties and how the election results will impact the balance of power in Congress. We will also be examining the main issues that dominated the elections, such as inflation and the impact of former President Trump on the Republican Party. Additionally, we give our insights and analysis on the elections and what we can expect moving forward. Take a listen for an informative and thought-provoking discussion on the 2020 midterm elections. Welcome back to Beyond Culture. I'm your host, Ivan, here with my co-host, Abel. It's great to be back. Today, we got a special one, you know, our classic U.S. politics episode. And yeah, we had the midterms uh, not too long ago. So, you know, we're going to dissect that a bit today and dive deeper because we've, uh, since the midterm, there's obviously been some more news that has come out and I'm sure uh, we'll be discussing it in today's episode, but it's great to be back. Yeah, great to be back and um, uh, excited to talk about the U.S you know, the U.S. midterm elections and just U.S. politics in general. Um, we, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a while since we have discussed the U.S. politics and we've always had a tradition of covering, uh, major U.S. elections. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited, but, uh, yeah, so to, to get started, I think it, this midterm election was quite interesting because uh the the results were so unpredictable and uh one saying that one joke that uh, I've I've seen online is that nobody got what they what they expected and nobody's is content with the results but I think that's that might be too simplistic um so in terms of the result first of all uh midterm elections happen uh, uh Half halfway in uh, a president's um, four-year mandate, um, four years administration, and uh, they kind of serve as a, referend- a referendum on the president's performance. That's how you know it's uh, conventionally thought of. Uh, so, if, for example, the economy is not doing well and um, People feel people are anxious about the state of the country. Then the president's party usually does a bad uh, uh, in the midterm election, and you know rarely uh, the president's party will do good in the midterm election. But that's that has that hasn't happened as often. It, it happens when there are major, you know, like external. Um, events that happen, you know, let's say, uh, uh, in, let's take the example of the Bush, um, administration with, uh, the 9-11, uh, terrorist attacks and the wars that were starting, you, you know, the Republican party did much better than they could have done without those external events. So in this, uh, midterm, uh, people were expecting, uh, the Democratic Party to do terribly, like, because first of all, the, uh, 
the the state of the country is not great. The uh, the U.S. is coming out of uh, COVID and uh, inflation is really high. The cost of living are uh, really high. Uh, there's there are there's the war in Ukraine happening, and there's uh, there are just major issues that the country is facing at, at the moment. And uh, some people are expecting that because of of that, uh, Biden and uh, the Democrats, both in Congress and Senate, would do badly. Um, but that wasn't the case. Uh, the Democrats ended up losing the House of representatives so the congress by by just a couple of seats so the margin there the republican margin in the house of representative is slim um which well which is uh which is important to note because now the republicans have to be incredibly uh unified and and for them to to actually have the vote and hold the majority. So for, for them to have, um, you know, to, to wield the power in Congress, they need to like have to be extremely, uh, unified. And that's there, you know, it's uh, difficult to see how that's going to go, especially with, you know, uh, more and more radical Republicans getting elected. Um, in the, a higher chamber, so the Senate, uh, Democrats were able to hold on to the Senate. The Senate was was fifty fifty Democrats Republican, split among uh, it was split in the middle. And uh, since the Democrats have the presidency, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris was had that split vote, and and therefore the Democrats did have had the majority in in the house so far democrats have uh gained 50 seats again in in the senate and there's one seat that's uh left up to a runaway election in georgia with uh reverend uh rafael warnock and herschel walker uh who is just the most interesting candidate and and perhaps the best candidate that the Republicans could come up with in, uh, in Georgia. So, uh, so yeah. So just to summarize, uh, the Demo Democrats ended up doing much better than they expected. And they're expected, obviously, to hold on to the Senate and perhaps even not need Kamala Harris, um, to, uh, break to be the tiebreaker in, in future votes. And that, that does mean a lot because that uh, leaves the vice president's uh, schedule free to attend to other matters and to uh, to gain, you know, to have to have a more hands-on uh, approach to other policies and uh, and priorities of the administration, which could help could help her uh, gain more popularity. Um, and in the lower house, uh, Republicans are expected to be a loud bunch. Uh, people should expect a lot of uh, investigations. Um, they want to investigate the Biden family. Uh, so it's it's the next two years are going to be really um, 
really interesting and really uh loud you know but for the Biden administration the next two years uh mean given that the Republicans took back the house it means that they're probably going to have to uh compromise a lot and do uh, make a lot of deals in order to pass bills um and just to keep the government running um so it's um what I'm mostly interested in seeing is how the Biden administ administration is going to uh, navigate this new uh, political s scenery, um, whether they're going to try to become more moderate or are just going to try to keep uh, keep appeasing to, to their base, uh, given that so far it seems like that strategy has worked and and has uh, given them the advantage going into 2024. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you were you're saying, like this, we didn't. Nobody really expected. At least the people that, that were following politics closely, you know, the pundits and all that. This is not really the election they expected. Everybody was kind of expecting the red wave to come and that's and as you as you mentioned you know it's some it's a mix of things it's the um like it's the political situation it's the also societal situation the economy etc and when i talk about when i mean po political situation i mean like that like that trump cloud has always been there ever since he left office the idea of whether, whether he's coming back or not but you know him not announcing, at least at the time, whether he was coming back or not, didn't stop him from endorsing many candidates in this race. So even of his mind, there was there was this strong push to get uh to have a red wave during these uh, midterm elections. There's, there's a funny quote by him where he's like, if they, it was in terms of the people he endorsed. He's like, if they win, then I want all the credit. If they lose, <laughs> then it's their fault. <laughs> you know, so that's where his um, mindset was at. And then it was just, and then from that, you also have a lot of candidates who are also um, election deniers, which is basically echoing the the Trump line that the election was stolen. You know, uh, votes were stolen, there's still outstanding ballots. So there was a lot of, there's a few of these candidates also running in this election. And it's interesting because, um, as you just mentioned, like they're now the Republicans have the House uh, and the slim majority, they need to stay together. You can't have these. Uh, these radical, uh, these radical factions, because once you have that, then, you know, you can't pass things together. You know, I, I, like in the house, you conduct a lot of these, a lot of these investigations and et cetera. And you need to have a unified front, especially heading into 2024, which is right around the corner. And the question that ever since January 6th happened right after that, our first few episodes, the question I've always had is whether that party was going to be able to Alien, alienate, alienate themselves from Trump. What this election showed is that they can win. They can win, you know, seats without Trump. You know, a lot of candidates that Trump endorsed did not end up winning the election. Like we can go into Pennsylvania with, you know, Meme Oz and John Fetterman. We could go. In, we'll go deeper into that later. But you know, there's a possibility here to do that. But again, I don't think it's it's hard to see them ever doing so because. Trump just announced that he's running for election and you have, you know, Mike Pence being interviewed, uh, not too long, uh, before, not too long too before or after or after that. And he was, he couldn't even say whether he believed Trump would be uh, fit to run, uh, 
to run for office, right? So you have the vice president who he he was at January sixth, he was front and center. He's not able to, you know, separate himself from Trump. You have a lot of, you know, senators, uh, you know, senators in office that are still, you know, big fans uh, of Donald Trump. And it seems like for those who have the potential of being uh, candidates, you know, in a primary, a Republican primary, you know, like the Nikki Haley's of the world, et cetera, they themselves don't want to even touch the Trump question you know, uh, with a tenfold pull because everybody seems to, everybody's making political calculations because they still fear that Trump, uh, that Trump base. But I, I, I don't know. For me, when I look at that election, just looking at it from the Republicans' perspective, I would hope that they could see that there's a path where you could win, uh, without the, without Donald Trump. But again, like, he, it, it doesn't seem like that's gonna be, um, the case, um, for, for, for uh, Democrats. Um, he said they lost, they lost the house. So now, so this ushers in a new age. Nancy Pelosi announced that she'll be, uh, stepping, that, stepping down that as, uh, as a Democratic leader in the house. So, and I think she handpicked Hakeem Jeffries to, uh, replace her. So that's kind of the out with the old, in with the new, uh, in terms of the Democrats in the house. You, you, you would hope to see a bit more of the, you know, members of the squad, um, Kind of have an opportunity, uh, to, to, to rise up within, within that space, but that uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I don't think, uh, we still, we still got some time. We'll see, we'll see what happens in terms of that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because even Democrats were also worried about, well, Democrats were very worried about their, how their performance would be in this election, right? You have, uh, Bernie Sanders. You know, arguing in a way, and some people argue that this is why Democrats perform way better. The issue of abortion, so, uh, so that's one of the issues that people believe that that's why a lot of people ended up being energized and going to vote. But before the midterms, Bernie Sanders was saying that Democrats shouldn't focus only on abortion uh, for the midterms. Like he was like, this is a quote from him. He says like, while abortion, while the abortion issue must remain as a front burner, it'd be a political malpractice for Democrats to ignore the state of the economy which we have discussed uh, on this podcast. But it's interesting to see how, you know, Bernie Sanders says, a guy like Bernie Sanders would say this before the election and now you go after the midterms. And, you know, it's a, it was, it's a much different political landscape than uh, we expected. But I think I think this is good, though, to, to for the polls, in a sense, to be, to be wrong. You know, it means that Americans still have that agency. You know, at the end of the day, what, what happened, like everything, it, everything, the only thing that matters is what happens at the ballot box, right? So I think this is what that, this is what, for me, at least this election uh, really showed. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple of interesting points there. First of all, um, it, it was, what was interesting is to see how Trump backed candidates performed. And um, this has been a huge issue in the Republican Party with uh, people like uh, leader McConnell arguing that uh, the quality of candidates might be, he this was before the midterm, he said that the quality of candidates might be an issue for them going into this election and, and they shouldn't be, they shouldn't expect a red wave. You know, if you go back in uh, on uh right-wing media a couple of days before the midterm or a couple of weeks before the midterm all you could hear was 
red wave, red wave. Some people are even talking about a red tsunami, you know. So <laughs> the expectations were were, were quite high, and understandably so because it's a midterm election again. You know, you're the opposing party, and um, the midterm elections usually are a referendum on the incumbent. But it, they ended up being somehow a referendum on Trump, despite uh, Biden being in the White House. And that just goes to say, you know, how that goes to show how uh, ubiquitous Trump is in the political, like the political arena. You know, how despite um, despite his reduced presence on social media and on other type of media, legacy medias, uh, since uh, getting booted out of the office, he still holds a lot of power, wields a lot of power within the party. And um, you could see just how, you know, like for, you know, in a lot of states, you either you would go never Trump and lose the primary or go and kiss Trump's behind, and you know, and that was the case for um, JD Vance, for example, who you know was was a, a Republican voice against Trump a couple of years ago, but now is has fully embraced Trump, and um, and as as a result, they didn't end up doing as well as they expected. But what's interesting is that the the only part of the country where um, they 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 went through a red wave per se was Florida, you know, which performed for Republicans much better than it did in uh, uh, than they did in uh, 2020, um, and you know, and that's where first of all, gov- you know, the governor of Florida who just got reelected, Ron DeSantis, uh, is. He's currently looked at as the primary contender to to Trump in the primaries of in the Republican primaries in twenty for twenty twenty four, and uh, this has solidified the views and the opinions of a lot of Republicans who were against uh, having Trump back in uh, Trump back in in twenty twenty four that they need to move beyond Trump. You know that their best option is moving beyond Trump. Given that now they have evidence uh, in Florida that uh, another face of the country could, another face of the party could mean better result for for the party, right? But I just don't think it's going to be an easy fight. Um, as you said, Trump has already uh, announced that he's running again in 2024, um, and it's it's really hard to see how um, he could lose, you know, he could lose the primary, that could happen, but uh, it's just really hard to see how that could happen, given, first of all, given, you know, his political power, uh, given the money that he has, like he, that he has raised so far, um, and that he's just sitting on and waiting to spend in 2024. So, um, yeah, I think for the Republican Party, this is, this is a the beginning of uh, of just a, an in, an interesting uh, time to define what the party is going is going to look like in the years to come.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because is you really have to kind of look at it from the perspective of other primary candidates that would be running against Trump. Is it worth it to have to go not only against Trump but against his money and against his base? Because it's gonna like if you're gonna if you're gonna primary Trump, there's no way you could like the status quo of Republican Republicans like trying to play both sides, you know, stay on the edge, be nice, but be, you know, try to be the moral compass. It doesn't work like that if you're going to go against Trump because he's going to hit hard. If you don't hit back, then you're going to lose. You know, it's a lot of examples of the, these people that have lost against Trump, right? So so if you're going to be that candidate to take on Trump, you have to you have to be securing yourself and being like, okay, I'm going to go 100% because you can't, you can't go, you can't go halfway. So I don't know who is willing to make that you know, take that political risk, like, especially we have a guy like uh, Governor DeSantis, who he, Trump helped him get elected, right? So does he want to be the person that ends up going against Trump, especially now where he, when he can simply just bide his time and then potentially just run, you know, with no real opposition like Trump in, let's say, the next election? Like, maybe that's the way he wants to to go about it. Like, when when it comes to running for president, like, a lot of these people are playing the long game. You know, it's like, it's not necessarily about because the opportunity is there. That means it's the right opportunity, not necessarily. Like you see, you know, a guy like Biden, like he lost. And then, you know, nine, there was moments where we're like, okay, he should run. Like everybody believed he should, he should have ran when Haley uh, would have, uh, when Haley we ran against Donald Trump. But again, it wasn't his time to run because Hillary was a candidate for the Democrats at that time. That's the one that, Obama supported, but then after that, Biden's opportunity came back, and then he ran again. So, I think that's kind of how I look at it. Like, there's a lot of political calculation happening right now. Like, when one decides to run for president, you know, it's it's not a decision to be taken lightly, and not it's not because you know you have a few fans here and there that you're like, okay, yeah, it's my time. Like, it, you have to look at who you're going to be running against. And Trump, uh, you know, is that's that's a that's a not an easy guy if you're going to run against him, and especially because you'll be. In a sense, I know I know that there's a there's this Republican base who are like let's say they're never Trumpers, etc. But also there's this bigger base who are like MAGA, who are like the MAGA supporters. So if you were to run against Trump in a primary, you have to be assured that you can create a coalition that's strong enough to beat that MAGA coalition. And right now, there isn't that because the MAGA coalition is so strong and Trump is still is is still there. After this election. When the MAGA base maybe realizes that, okay, Trump is not the path towards victory anymore, then it's easier to create a coalition because now you're taking from that MAGA base who are kind of like in the wilderness and they're looking for somewhere to go. But I don't know, when it comes to Trump, Trump's announcement, that's the ripple effects of that is going to be, it's going to be crazy within that party. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I take the point about uh, timing, um, you know, timing a run for, for president. At the same time, a lot of these people run because it boosts their image inside the party. So you might not run because you think you're, you know, you think you're going to win, you know, even in the primaries, even if we take a look back at the prime, at the Democratic primaries a couple of years back, you know, a lot of these people, you know, a lot of people knew that for a lot of these candidates, they weren't going to go far. But it kind of, it was a stepping stone for them to run for other offices, you know, to get their name out there on the national, uh, on the national scene and then leverage the, that exposure into, you know, 
getting uh, jobs later on or running for uh, Senate seats or, uh, you know, govern go- governorships. Um, for Ron DeSantis, I think it's uh, interesting because, uh, first of all, he's one of, you know, one of the most popular uh, Republican uh, governor, you know, and one of the most popular uh, figure in the in the party now and uh, you know but at the same time you know um, if he were to just bow out of running in 2024 that would mean he would have to run in 2028 uh, if he he has like those uh, ambitions right which he certainly has uh, but 2028 is just so far away from now you don't know what's going to happen between now and 2028 um you always have to you know when your star is shining that's when you have to play your hand um and you know you, you don't know whether he's he, he could like by then you know like let's say his uh uh term as a governor expires in 2026 and he has two more years you know before 2028 you know it's you know, that might not be the best time for him. The best time for him is getting involved in national politics now, somehow, some way. But it's just, it's harder now that he's the main opposition to Trump. But in, he, you know, uh, the way I'm thinking is he doesn't have to be the main opposition to Trump. You know, like uh, one of, I've seen a few Democrats say that uh, Trump coming back in, you know, in national politics, in the national politics scene is good for the Democratic Party and for good for Biden, especially because if he wins the primary, Biden is facing Trump and Biden then Democrats are more confident that Biden can beat Trump and more than other Republican candidates. And if he loses, you know that Trump is not going to unite uh, behind whoever won so he's gonna he's going to uh split the vote somehow you know and create you know start a crisis within the party so you know if uh for people in ron DeSantis's camp uh you know he he supported trump before he could do it again he could you know possibly try to uh run on trump's ticket you know like that could also be an option, but uh, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. It's gonna ultimately, it's gonna uh, be decided on uh, what his support looks like, his level of supports look look like looks like in the party with uh, with the polling numbers, and whether he feels really confident that he can beat Trump in a primary, uh, which now seems. Um, you know, not, you know, not as unlikely as it, it looked like prior to the midterm, but now you have even, you have, uh, people are more Republicans are questioning Trump's ability, um, now than they were prior to the midterm, given the, the poor performance, you know, and, uh, even, uh, mainstream, you know, Republican, uh, pro-republican media you know like fox news and stuff you know now they're 
you can see that they're throwing their weight behind Ron DeSantis more so than Trump. But this has happened before. But uh, it's worth mentioning that, you know, uh, there's that schism in, in the party that's uh, uh, more and more uh, growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point about how a lot of people actually use running, you know, uh, in the presidential election to, you know, raise their, uh, their profile. Like you have very profile, like not only to, to run for other jobs, but also to even just work in the White House. You know, Kamala Harris is one of those examples. She's the vice president. And then, but I know for her, when she was running, I, I think it was definitely to be president, but you know, that did not happen. Uh, you have, you know, Pete Buttigieg, uh, who, who works, he works for the, for the government. You know, a lot of people definitely do use that, um, to, to raise to raise their profile i always i just always wonder when it comes to these candidates that are like this is gonna this is your real head-to-head battle i just wonder how much they're willing to let's say uh you know sacrifice in terms of their political career right when you're going into these head-to-head battles like for kamala harris you know you go head-to-head with with joe biden and then you end up um just becoming joe biden's running mate now you become his vice president you know you're on the ticket with him and with us at that point, at least with the assumption that, you know, when Biden's gone, Kamala Harris will be the next one to step into that position. But, you know, her, her years as vice president has in a way really, at least the way everybody's looking at it now, has tanked the possibility of her leading a Democratic ticket in terms of just her popularity and et cetera. Now, will she end up still... Uh, leading a ticket at one point, yeah, possibly for sure. But in terms of the way it, her popularity is right now, you know, she's gonna have to face a tough uphill battle. Like her years as vice president, I don't think have helped her, you know, in in a quest to her becoming, you know, uh, president. Unfortunately for her. Um, so for DeSantis, I wonder. Let's say you get in a situation where it's like, okay, now it's crunch time, and it's like, okay, if Trump is gonna become. Uh, could become the main the main person uh, the, the the main person on the Republican ticket. Would you want to risk being his vice president with the turmoil he causes? You know, like would you want that to? You know, would you be willing to take that political risk and and, and run with Trump? I I don't know. Maybe he maybe he would. Maybe he wouldn't. I just think it, I think those are interesting conversations uh, to have because then they then it determine it really it will determine ultimately. You know whether Rob, whether the Santos could ever become you know president of the United States. So I think I don't. For me, it's just it's interesting conversations to have. But I did find interesting, you know, uh, the candidate a candidate like Mehmet Oz who ran in Pennsylvania, how he lost that race against uh, Fetterman. What's interesting to me about that is that you know it's it comes down to at least the way I see it, and I've read some stuff too. It's it just seems like you know Oz is just he's he's an elite, as they call it, you know, an elite versus Fetterman, who's more, you know, who is just more is in touch with the people. It's interesting because Fetterman had, you know, had a stroke during this campaign and then he had to recover from that stroke. And he's not fully recovered, I don't think so. But still, he had to recover and then he had to keep running against Oz, who obviously is fully healthy. Oz is a doctor. But I think one of the most interesting lines I heard Fetterman say during this whole campaign is about how the about the importance of healthcare he'd always say you know we need healthcare we need public healthcare because without it you know i wouldn't even be able, be able to be here it saves my life and that's a message that resonates 
you know, with a lot of people in Pennsylvania. And I don't think Oz ever had something that could resonate with the people, the people like that. Federman was more, you know, the people's choice versus Oz being kind of like implanted into this race as, you know, the, the, uh, Republican choice. So it's, it's, it's what happened in Pennsylvania is very interesting, you know, how Democrats, uh, flipped that seat and, you know, Fetterman, Fetterman won. Like it's, that's a, it's a, it's a big win for Democrats. And also it's just a show, it's, it's just to show that, you know, again, back to what I was saying before, like people have agency, you know, people choose who they want to choose. They choose who speaks to them, you know, and who, you know, would represent, would represent them well, uh, in office. And as we've spoken about a lot on this podcast, you know, the issue of inflation, jobs, it's like, it's, it's a real problem, you know, since, I mean, since 2021, you know, you've seen, been seeing a lot of these Starbucks, uh, Star, Starbucks, uh, unions starting to form, right? You know, in 2021, I think the first one was in Buffalo. And then since then, you've had like over 259, uh, Starbucks, you choose, like, vote to unionize, you know, so a lot of these people that are working, you know, in these, in these jobs, these, these, uh, retail jobs, you know, they're, they're simply not making enough, you know, to go by and they're not feeling as if, you know, they're protected, you know, their rights as workers are protected. And, you know, with, and then you compound down with inflation, like this is, it's almost, it's in, it seems like it's impossible for them to just, you know, live at least a comfortable life where they could get by. So I think when we, you know, discuss, you know, inflation, it's just not something we throw out there. It's something that you can see realistically the shift, you know, in what's happening. And we're talking just about America and Canada is, you know, it's a, it's another, it's another, uh, issue as well. But just in America, seeing all these unions form, especially at Starbucks since 2021 till now, like it's, it's, it's a big sign that, you know, workers' rights are not being respected and workers are simply not making enough to get by in this economy. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's interesting, you know, the type of candidates that Republicans chose to, to run, you know, um, you have, uh, Mehmet Oz, who's, you know, basically a celebrity and uh and in georgia you have herschel walker who <laughs> you know it's if you know like i'm laughing but it's it's tragic you know like um yeah but it's just uh it's really bizarre how republicans try to brand themselves as the the party of working people and end up running these type of of candidates, you know, and, and and in the Democratic Party, it's been an issue, uh, that issue of elitism, you know, of, you know, urban elites, like, you, you know, that has been an issue. And at times, understandably, you know, because uh, of lack of candidates that could, that really represent working people and, uh, uh, you know, a preference for highly educated candidates, you know, um, who could speak and, you know, talk in the most convoluted ways and, you know, uh, you know, could be professorial rather than, you know, be really just down on earth as Donald Trump actually is and was when running for president, you know, um, so, um, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just like, it's just really interesting to see the type of the choices that Republicans are making, you know, and, um, on, on your point about, uh, inflation and 
and and the rising cost of living um it's odd that republicans haven't used that issue to formulate a plan you know you know somewhat reasonable uh or somewhat reasonable sounding you know to to talk to the voters and say if we you know if we get into office this is what we're going to do to fight inflation but there hasn't been like there hasn't been a you know a like a serious uh, attempt of trying to take in inflation and fight you know to have a plan to fight inflation you know you could argue that uh, Biden and the Democrats are not doing enough to fight inflation which i do think that is the case but at the same time if you're going against the incumbent and you have uh, you know such a big issue massive issue that's on people's minds such as inflation you have to capitalize that and try to you know base your base your uh your campaign uh on on that issue you know and so far democrats just haven't i mean republicans just haven't uh done so and uh it's and it's costing them you know um and they it's funny because the republicans have and they've ended up just being like uh locking themselves into a weird bubble where everything is just about radical democrats with you know they you know they want to change uh they want to take away your rights they want to uh i don't know push you know uh critical race theory and in your kids school and all of that you know which at times can be a, a winning message you know that type of fear mongering can be a, uh can can get you votes but you know like i think it's better like it would have been better for them you know uh to focus on inflation and that is and that is hard to do uh in a environment where trump is leading uh is leading the party because trump is not known for that type of you know like serious policy thinking and uh although he's he is he has been uh successful articulating the uh the type of economic uh uh anxiety that people feel you know but um you know in terms of just policy uh and articulating you know and coming up with plans you know to fight these types of issues um or to address these type of issues uh that hasn't been like you know a, fo- a focus in um Trump's that in Trump's uh time in office and both and time running as a candidate so um yeah just i think this election is going to um this midterm election is going to uh cause the republican to just do a lot of introspection and uh try to you know change their strategy you know because this was uh, they they blew this opportunity um and you know for yeah for uh, uh, you know understandable reasons and reasons that aren't is a, easily fixable you know because Trump is not just going to go away you know so uh yeah it's uh, um yeah i look forward to seeing how the party uh goes about uh, addressing these 
there's you know these shortcomings in terms of you know uh, strategy, electoral strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think you brought up a good point. Like Trump right now would be hard, like he, for him to be focused on making plans about you know how to be tackle this inflation, etc. Like concrete plans would be hard for him to do now. I think you know. It, like especially it's not it's not who he is now, but I think there was a time where it probably would have been easier, and that was back in 2016 where he first ran and where he was really talking about economic anxiety, like thoroughly and saying, okay, whether you believe his what his plans were going to be were you know valid or not, or would help fix the issue or not. Like the fact that he was even proposing these plans really had a lot of people like, okay, this could be the guy you know to get out of get us out of this you know slump in terms of you know jobs, you know. In, in, in more rural states, stuff like that, like Trump, that was Trump 2016. After he became, as soon as he became president, everything shifted more and towards dealing with, you know, radicalism, uh, of different sorts, you know, free speech and all these things. And you see that that has transitioned into what the Republican Party talks about today all the time, which is, you know, free speech, radical leftists and all these things like now. So that is the main message right now of the Republican Party. It seems like they, have a hard time not talking about these things and that's that and that i'm like you mentioned it does could get you some votes but how how far can this go when people are dealing with that economic insecurity you're not going to go very far you're not going to win elections just talking about free speech as your main message in my opinion i don't think that's how you win elections at least not in uh not in not in america like even now you're looking at you know, the whole situation that's happening with Twitter and all these things, like they, they all go down to these, this polarization that's happening in America, you know, what is considered, uh, you know, free speech, what is not, what is, what like, what are, who draws the line, you know, why is it only one-sided, why is it only for Republicans, but it's not for Democrats, like do you have all these things happening? So America, I think it's still quite a poor, polarized uh, country. And like you have a thing, even I think two weeks before the election, uh, Nancy's Pelosi's home was, you know, attacked, and her husband was actually attacked, and he suffered. He suffered a skull fracture, I believe. That was only two weeks before the midterms. I'm not necessarily saying that one is linked to the other, but I'm saying if you're the person that did that, the suspect said he was looking for Nancy Pelosi. Like in America, America's, you know, very it's a very polarized place right now, and it's and it's something that, you know, I believe both parties, you know, have have a hand in propagating, you know, the, the way, the way they speak about, about each other, the way they fear monger, like it's, it's, they, that's what, that's what they do. So going back to what you're talking about, uh, Republicans, uh, fear mongering, there's also on top of politically, you know, losing, you're also, when it comes to just everyday life, you know, it's not good for democracy as a whole, but again, that's, I, that's something that is, at least for the foreseeable future, it seems to be a thing that's going to stay within uh, politics. Some, like These moments will happen, you know, where extremism reaches the point of violence. And then there'll be, you know, some condemnations here and there. But again, only a few weeks later, we'll, they'll be back to doing the same thing. And that's, I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans. And that's, at the end of the day, that's is one thing that is unfortunate to see as we, this, I believe this is one of our, our first U.S. episodes since you know uh, January six, where we had that episode, and we've done some after that, but this, but this is only a few episodes from that. And that episode, January six, was you know it wasn't yesterday, you know it was a few years ago, like two, one two years ago. 
and you were still dealing with the same issue, and it still seems like there hasn't been much learned uh, from that experience. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think um, one thing that just you know, the Democrats also have to look at and focus on is as you you brought this you brought this point earlier uh, in the episode is you know look at uh, how people are feeling in regards to the economy in regards to cost of living in regards to being able to pay their bill their bills and you know being able to you know to make ends meet you know um and uh there's been a tendency to for democrats to kind of you know say oh we have inflation yes but this is because of russia you know uh this is not our fault um you know at the same time say oh but look the economy is still growing you know um the job job uh reports at the end of each month is has been you know somewhat good so there there's this tendency to brush away and say the economy is actually good you know but if we, people are feeling anxious you know the economy is not some you know it shouldn't be some magical concept that you know it's all about the numbers and you know you have to look at you know what people are feeling there's the subject the subjective uh, um, components of that you know so uh for democrats as well one lesson that they should uh take away from this election is you know try make sure that you improve the lives of people you know there's been a lot of uh discussion in the party on what approach biden should take you know whether it should be really moderate and try to you know just have uh bipartisan deals you know rather than actually you know, you know, actually trying to achieve what he promised he would uh, do, you know. And one um, example of this is the the student loan forgiveness, you know, which now is being battled in the courts. You know, some moderate uh, Democrats were like, "Oh, this is this is bad." You know, it's going to add to inflation. Um, by the way, you know, it's not even it's not even that important. Uh, blah blah blah. But you could see that, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, young people were were motivated by the fact that, you know, uh, student loan, student loans was student loan forgiveness was an issue in in the in the election, you know. So uh, take a lesson uh, of, you know, take some learn from from the midterms and actually try to improve the lives of people and not just, you know, seem, you know, you know, that, um, not just have that empty politics of just, you know, we're here to unify the country, unify it to do what, you know, like what, you know, it's, it's, it's (laughs) not to go on a tangent, but it's always weird when these politicians have like these, you know, like weird goals or, you know, empty goals, you know, I'm here to unify the country. Yeah, unify it. So when we're unified, what are we going to be doing? You know, like, are my kids going to, you know, going to be able to, to have access to healthcare if we're unified? You know, like, uh, is my economic situation going to be better if we're, you're, we're unified? You know, like, you know, 
that would have been a great tagline during the American Civil War film. But this is like this is not that right yeah, now. Yeah, like uh, sometimes you you know that's this is one of the reasons why I, I appreciate Bernie and the politics that he he uh, practices is that sometimes you do have to divide people to to make some progress. You know, like there has never been progress that. Uh, where people just had a consensus on on what they should do you know uh, oftentimes when progress come comes about you know it's because it's you know it was really debated it was uh, a heated debate and people were really divided but the goal shouldn't just be of unifying the country i understand with you know the polit the you know uh with polarization people want to go back to you know, a more normal politics, but if normal politics does not mean much in terms of people's uh, economic conditions and uh, ability to just have, you know, live a good life, you know, I don't, I don't think that that goal is worthwhile. So, yeah, the lesson in in summary for Democrats, you know, actually. Uh, face these issues such as inflation and the uh, increased cost of living um, head on and don't just spend the next two years talking about oh we were able to get 80 republicans on this bill that does nothing you know like you know do what you you were elected to do and on that note i don't think there's a there's a better way to end after this episode, at least, uh, I don't know if you wanted to add, you had one more thing you wanted to discuss at the end there, but I think, I don't know, for me, I think you said it, you said it pretty much all, like the, like one thing, one thing you learn, you know, in business is that the numbers don't tell the full story, you know, as aggregate as they might, as they might be, you know, you're missing certain, you're always missing certain components, so I definitely agree with what you were saying. Yeah, and uh, to end, do you have any recommendations, you know? TV shows, movies. Oh, I do not actually. It's been a, a busy few few months. I haven't really watched. I haven't watched anything new. I've just been watching like old stuff because that's easier. To, that's easier to watch when you when you're working on stuff and whatever. But uh, I'll have some for next time. I'm very disappointed in myself for not having one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I might have uh, one recommendation. So I've been uh, reading this book by, uh, I, I might butcher the author's name, but uh, uh, Rana Forohar. It's uh, it's about Wall Street and just um, the history of financialization of American business and uh, institutions. So it's called Makers and Takers. Uh, yeah, so far so good. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been interesting to learn how, you know, these industries have evolved and how, what, you know, uh, how those evolutions actually affect the lives of people and workers in America and across the world. Mm-hmm. Well, that's makers and takers, you said? Makers and takers, yeah. Right. So you heard the recommendation here first from Abel. Thank you everybody for listening. This was Beyond Culture. Goodbye and good night. Good night.